Hey everyone, I'm Matt. And I'm Steven. And you're listening to Code Talk with Matt and Steven, where we sit around chatting about coding stuff. All right, welcome to Code Talk episode 19. Uh, today we're joined by our longtime friend and often uh, topic producer, Craig Davis. Thanks for joining us, Craig. Thanks for letting, letting me come join you all again. I appreciate it. Uh, Matt and I were trying to figure out a topic to discuss, uh, and we don't have one because, through, truthfully, I forgot today was Wednesday. <laughs> um, so I didn't. he texted me about like an hour ago and was like, are we recording? And I said, uh, it is that day of the week, isn't it? So, so here we are. That's right. <clears throat> so here we are. But it's about time we had a guest on. Craig hasn't been on in a yeah, couple actually, of months, actually. Uh, yeah. I think maybe November, December, or something like that. I, I think it, it has been a little while. Uh, I think last time we, we talked a, a little bit about uh, developer motivation and some, and some remote working things, maybe. It's been yeah. a while. It's nice to be back. Good, yeah. I um, Today should have been when we Matt and I recorded last week. So a new episode should have gone out today. So sorry to the listeners that it has not. Um, Craig's aware of why it hasn't. Uh, Matt is not, but I'll tell the story to, uh, to kind of ease into the to discussions uh, today. Um, it did not go out because the files uh, with our audio recording and, and the editing um, is on my MacBook Pro, which is somewhere in the depths of Apple being repaired because the logic Ooh. board fried on Monday. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so so the story is Monday morning, man. I logged, uh, I logged in. I did about an hour's worth of work. Uh, came upstairs to, to plug in, actually get going you know, properly. Plugged it into my to my external monitor, you know, started working. Got about thirty minutes into that, and everything just went black. I was on the phone with Apple for like thirty minutes. We tried every combination uh, of keyboard commands to try and get it to boot. Uh, nothing worked. Then we plugged it into a different outlet and tried all of those commands, and then we just unplugged it all together and tried all of those commands nothing. again. Um, and it, Nothing. I had to go into Apple. Luckily, I was able to get an appointment. Like someone had actually just canceled, so I was able to get in that day. And uh, they were like, "Yeah, your 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 uh, your thing is is you know, Logic Boy's dead. We're gonna have to fix it." So, Man, and it was a uh, it was a little nerve wracking too because I had actually I I had recently taken out some side work and I uh, had done a lot of work this weekend, and I I had I had done a lot of work on my laptop, not on on the desk. Uh, where and my external monitor is where the the backup drive is plugged into, so I was fearful that I had lost all of that weekend's worth of work. Uh, but then when I looked at the backup, once I was able to get the drive hooked up to the new computer uh, or the temporary computer, I, I was able to see that apparently, luckily, tired me Sunday night at one a.m. Uh, technically Monday morning. Uh, I guess decided to not only plug in the power but to plug in the monitor as well. Nice. So it performed nice. a backup at 7 a.m. Monday. So I only lost like 30 minutes worth of work. You know, <clears throat> funny thing is, I think it's a bad week for Apple products in Greenville. So um, three broken screens in a week on the iPad, on my old MacBook Pro, what? and on an iPhone. <laughs> God, how did what, you? What, what have you been doing? <clears throat> the iPad just somehow there's a there's a. Uh, there's just a line going straight through the screen, you know, but I have a young child who plays with it a lot. So that's probably the case. The other one was the 
the MacBook Pro, I guess, fell off the couch. And so the screen no longer works on it. And then, um, not my work machine, thank goodness. And then, um, and then the iPhone, you know, just normal hit the ground and, Who's who's got the iPhone? I thought you were a, uh, yeah. a hardcore uh, Android guy. Yeah, my daughter. Yeah, she has the iPhone, so she dropped it. Oh, okay, and, you know. So yeah, just but all all in just okay. a few days of each other, like. <laughs> so, but but not Apple. No, no. This, this, yeah, is, this, this is this was you guys. Okay. I guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> will you will you try to repair any of those yourself, or or uh, will they will they go into the bin? Yeah. What uh, what's at the this strategy? point? I think the the iPhone. Yeah, definitely going to repair it. It's about fifty bucks for a replacement screen. So, and it's they're usually pretty easy to take apart. I mean, you know, lots of screws, but should be fine. And then macbook pro probably not going to put the money into it it's a 2013 not worth the 300 dollars for or 300 plus dollars for a replacement screen on that and and even yeah. if that's the problem and then the ipad is just it's got a it's got a screen protector one of those glass screen protectors on it so it should be all right but it's just one of those annoying things you got this line just going right through the screen um so so let me ask you a question the the pro can you could you still have it as a desktop could you just plug in a hdmi monitor <laughs> yeah it's actually it's it's plugged into the tv right now so that's how see there well there you go still got a use <laughs> yeah, for it exactly right? so it still it still works it's just no screen yeah so not as portable <laughs> as it used to be so it's just a very expensive small yeah. desktop <laughs> You know, I I run I I've always run the Mac the Mac Minis because I uh, I don't I like working from a desk even though I work from home and so you know I run I run three monitors and a Mac Mini and uh, that's pretty much just the internal guts from from a MacBook Pro anyway just a little just a little different form factor I think um, that's those those have worked well for me for a lot of years I actually like the Mac Minis I wish they were a bit more powerful than than they are and i feel like they've neglected them like over the last couple oh, yeah. of years they just never yeah. really got the they've neglected all of their computers yeah. <clears throat> I, I i would i would agree with that you know the current iteration of mine uh is a 16 16 gig ram and it's a three gigahertz i7 i think and you know it it does well um it starts to struggle a little bit you know if you've had to give docker five gig of ram um but uh yeah, I think it would be fantastic if if we could get a real, you know, thirty two gig of RAM machine. Um, uh, then I think it would be yeah, quite a form factor yeah. to have. Yeah, I read a rumor last night that um, I mean it's a rumor. Probably if it's going to be true, it probably be more likely next year. But that Apple could be refreshing their fifteen inch MacBook Pros with up to thirty two gigs of RAM. And they've they've publicly said the reason they have not done that is because of um, battery life, you know, because they're they're more power intensive and and they obviously don't want to uh, sacrifice the the battery life that they have now. But apparently, like Intel's newest generation of chips uh, allow for specific type of RAM or whatever that's lower power. Um, so it could be you know it could could be coming on on a laptop, which is kind of cool. That would be nice, Stephen. I wanted to go back for a second. So when you uh, when you get a new machine or yours or you uh, you have to rebuild yours, do you do you script your whole machine build right? Do you have a brew file that you just move 
you just move on to a new laptop and run and then suddenly you're all settled in like or 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 will you you know install stuff as you need it how, how do you approach a new machine um i don't have a nice little build file and uh in fact david stanley for those of you who don't know one of our uh one co-worker uh, uh, craig's and i co-workers um he he kind of suggested that after i spent 36 hours rebuilding this machine he suggested that and he was like, oh, look at my dot files. And I, I could be up and running with a new machine in two hours. I was like, well, good for you. <laughs> uh, no, I don't do that. Um, what I do is I restore from a time machine backup, which is great because I get everything, all my configs, all my files, everything is there. Um, the only problem with this was the solution. So the, the solution that I was given from work uh, was to buy because uh, I guess they didn't have anything like the configs that we get for the pros in stock. It would be ordered. There's going to be a few days to get repaired. So they said, buy an air. And then when your pro comes in, we'll ship the air back to us. And that'll be, you know, like, I think a designer or marketing persons, you know, whoever we hire next, that'll be their machine. Um, so I'm actually getting to play with they get They get it used. I get to play with it now. Uh, the only problem is it spent a few hours trying to restore from backup um, when I was setting up the air. And then uh, it was, it finally aired out and said, oh, there's not enough room on this machine. So. So the hard drive is smaller, so I could not restore it. So the way I've done this this machine, in the past, it's always been super easy just going from one to the other because I just do the restore from backup. Um, but with this one, it uh, I've just pulled over the basics of what I need. You know, like I've got Slack in the in Chrome open. I don't have the, the app downloaded. Um, you know, I've got our VPN set up. Uh, I've got PHP Storm set up, which don't doesn't even have any of my nice configs and you know and, and settings that I'm used to. But it's only for three days, three or four days max, you know, so I, I can kind of put up with it. However, this has really opened my eyes. And so, yes, I will be looking into scripting, uh, especially those dot files. I believe you've, Craig, you've shared those dot files with me before uh, where you can get the entire yeah. Mac set up. Yeah, I the there's a, a fairly popular repository from, uh, I think it's Mat- Matthias Bynens. Yes, that was the one. Uh, that is just fantastic, it, and it includes uh, an OSX uh, default that um, kind of does two things. It it uh, strips out a lot of the animations and, and makes things a little faster, and then it gets rid of uh, a lot of the safety guards, um, actually disables a lot of the confirmation prompts and various things, and uh, I really, I really like it. You just have to be really careful to go through and read it, because uh, there are some things in it that are very opinionated, like hotspot corners for the mouse and yeah. things that uh, <clears throat> that you probably um, have have some different opinions about. But totally worth checking out, and really nice if you go with the full package. It's got some really nice uh, um, commands that uh, for everything from command line changing uh, volume um, to uh, Anyway, it's worth reading through and, and sort of seeing everything that's there. A lot of handy stuff, particularly for developers. Um, I was going to ask one. You said you installed PHP Storm. Do you use uh, the JetBrains toolbox, or do you install it uh, as a as a standalone as a standalone standalone? App? Same here. Really? What, how, why? Um, uh, just that's how I've always done it. And that, I think I did it before they had the toolbox. And so probably being the old man, of I don't like change. And so I didn't want to take the time to figure it out. Maybe I don't know. I'll try the toolbox. What's, is there a benefit to the toolbox? I think it 
yeah, it can manage your uh, upgrade cycle uh, on its own without having to do the go to the blog and then download the new package. I think does, it, does that yeah, sound right, Matt? Yeah. You don't have to manually do it. It'll kind of like uh, if you ever use the Adobe Creative Cloud. Um, ah, yeah. I hate Creative Cloud. But here's the thing: I, I don't want it because then it's just something else that's running a process in the background, and yeah. you know, you always have to every time you boot up, you have to close it out. I guess there's probably a preference or something to t- <laughs> to turn it off. I just never dug that far. But yeah, I, I do the manual thing too. I'm like, I mean, that what like it it updates twice a year or something right so it's not a big deal to go just download i typically don't upgrade until i have a problem actually i had to renew my license because i didn't realize i up until the other day i was running php storm from like 2016 so (laughs) is that yeah that's when you got a uh you got a free um license right from upstate yeah and it was still good till november of 2017 it's just i just never upgraded because i never had any issues everything worked great and uh you know, but I, yeah, I just upgraded the other day and nice. I realized how, how out of date I was. So maybe the toolbox is a good thing, uh, but I think you have to, if I'm correct, you have to kind of wipe your PHP storm install in order to use the, in order to use the toolbox. Yeah. To yeah. change. All right. Yeah. To change from, from standalone to the toolbox, I think you have to uninstall and, uh, it's worth, yeah, you've got to stash your preferences somewhere. If you're going to do that, I think you can, you can export uninstall and then re-import them. But um, that always makes me a little mm-hmm. nervous. Yeah. I, I ran in, I ran into a great PHP storm thing uh, earlier this week. I had never gone through and disabled all of the plugins that I don't use. Like, uh, you know, it's always run like by default, it's always running things for like, dot ht access files and i probably went through and disabled 30 something plugins from php storm the other day <laughs> and got it trimmed down to just what i need and i do think it's helped the memory footprint of the thing yeah it's huge bit. isn't it yeah it's because it's java and and the other thing i uh PHP, gripe i have about php storm is indexing so I, I know you have to you have to go and like ignore a lot of folders especially like your vendor folder and stuff well no it's got to index your vendor folder there are folders you can kind of ignore, but oh my! Every time it indexes, it's like, please stop. <laughs> yeah, it just slows you down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, in particular, uh, we at uh, uh, if you're running if you're running a project that's using Doctrine, for instance, um, you know it's always creating all of your uh, class proxies. And yeah, PHP Storm has a real habit of trying to index all of those, and you'll be typing along, and you think, "Oh, that's exactly the class I." Oh, that's the proxy. <laughs> that's, that seems to happen to me fairly often. And I guess could you ignore? I mean, have you ever tried ignoring any of those folders that you don't need? Like, there's ways to yeah yeah I yeah you can exclude things, and then I've also found it. It helpful to tell it, uh, for instance, which uh, which folder holds your tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because if you if you have your key binding set up and you have a test class open and it's inside that test folder, um, it can automatically run that for you if you have all the the little magical uh, configs aligned. Um, and uh, I find in most projects it's actually worth doing that. I really like. If I've got two 
So I've got two windows open side by side, or I guess two two screens. Anyway, uh, you know, to have code I'm working on on the left and the test on the right, it's really nice to be able to, um, you know, command tab over to the test and hit hit the little key combo to to run that test. Wait, um, what? I I, I gotta, find that to be useful is, anyway. You got to send me a link to that. Um, <clears throat> okay, so uh, my two fa- two of my favorite key bindings. I've got uh, make a vertical split set up with uh, um, Alt V and make a horizontal split set up with Alt H, and so <laughs> and so you can really quickly make make a split and uh, and then have two files open side by side, and then on the Mac it's that same Command Tab. We'll switch back and forth between the two windows that you're working in, and uh, and then I think I've got oh, so I always fall apart because I have a Windows keyboard and a and a Mac, so it's like Alt Window R. <laughs> so I guess that's you've that's got a command uh, a mechanical command keyboard. That's that's your uh, your love, right? I, I you know there's got to be a key out there that just has the Mac symbol or command. I, Well, there's sadly there's not because I I've got I've got a set of uh, double shot keys from from Philco and they don't make a Mac version of it. I, I guess it would be one more because they're not printed; they're cast. And so, what about I a guess sticker? They they decided it wasn't financially. Question working. for you, Craig. So I uh, do, do you what? reverse the uh, the keys? Because I know command is usually on the right. An option would be I, I do. So, I do reverse them. Yeah, um, it. Uh, I use uh, um, a little program called uh, um, Carabiner Elements, mm-hmm. and uh, I swap. I swap those two keys, and then I make my caps lock another control, because I really like having uh, Control A and Control E for jumping to the front and end of lines. And since caps lock is next to A, I can actually usually get it with one finger to jump to the previous, to jump to the start of a line. Nice. That's amazing. Um, oh, yeah. So I want to go back real quick to the, uh, to the dot files. Um, I was, you, you said you, you, know, you, you should go in there. Craig was saying you should go in there and read them. I was reading through them yesterday while I was waiting for different programs to install or things to run on my machine. And... Um, it was, uh, man, I learned a lot about the Mac. Like there was a setting in there. Well, first of all, there's a, a, I don't know, is it a program, I guess you can get with Homebrew, um, but it allows you to install app store apps uh, from the command line, if you know the ID or you could search for it and stuff. And so like some of the recipes would like install different apps you have from the app store. And then, uh, but then there was one that really stuck out at me. Uh, and it was a command to increase a set a set a system setting to increase the audio quality to Bluetooth headphones. And I saw that I was like, wait a minute, you mean I've been using my my Bose headphones uh, with shit audio quality just because it was a default setting in Apple? So I I, I guess battery optimization reasons or I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I want the nice quality. <laughs> It should be an option, though, right? Is it in is yeah. it in preferences, or I mean, is this just something in the background that you actually have to just know that it exists and run it a script? It looks like it was. 
Yeah, the ladder. It looks like it's something in the background. You've just got to, which a lot of those, like, I'm like, there's, I've never seen a GUI, you know, can like switch for that. And I'm like, there, uh, how many other cool uh, system settings, configuration items, or, or even other app settings are there that you don't know about? You know, I'm like, how do you find out about this? Oh, so many, like the, the ability to change your highlight color and, uh, there's so many things that you can change on, on sound though. I think, I still think my pro tip is, uh, is shift alt and then your volume up down button will actually change your volume with the keyboard in quarter step increments. Oh, nice. So, uh, and again, I, I map, uh, I map page up and page down to volume. And so you can uh, shift shift alt and then use your volume keys on a on a, a keyboard with dedicated volume keys to go in quarter increments. I've always thought that's handy. I've always wished that um, you could actually, you know, so if you have headphones plugged in or a monitor with audio, you know, I, I've always hated that you couldn't use the volume keys anymore with a Mac. It's just like just gives you the big no symbol. But oh, I was going to say, I was going to say something else. Yeah. I, uh, I think that, you know, it's always a funny balance between, uh, really settling into a machine and, you know, and having all of your keyboard commands done and everything just right versus, you know, just using something that's stock, right? Like, you know, it's always, to me, it's always a little bit like, like, you know, connecting to a machine and and SSH and then realizing that uh, Vim doesn't work quite right because you're so used to some set of of config you've got and then you're trying to, you know, SSH and copy over your config at the same time. And, um, and yeah, it, it, it always seems like a balancing act between getting, you know, really in tune with whatever setup you've got and whether... Like, okay, how much time does that really save us? And how much of time is it just because we like to fiddle with things, you know? Well, I'm going to ask you guys a question. How often, uh, okay, so I don't think I've, I've ever scripted anything, but I also don't think I've ever had to kind of rebuild. I've always just taken the Thunderbolt out and popped it in my new machine and pulled all my stuff over and was working in under an hour. Like, how often do you guys rebuild your machines? Like, I don't think I've ever actually rebuilt the Mac. Never. I only do it when I transfer from one to the other. Um, now, and it's funny though, with the scripting stuff, uh, David Stanley was telling me that he, he was like, yeah, I used to rebuild mine every few months. In fact, he, while he was even trying to tell me like the benefits of it. He's like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to rebuild in a few weeks. And I was like, I can't, I can't fathom that because it just, even restoring from backup. Although, um, because I mean, I mean, I'm on an air now. I came from pro, but before I came from the pro, I was on an air. So I had the air upgraded to pro from backup. Uh, that's what I'm currently working with. Um, and I think there were some, some issues, some software issues, some maybe, you know, different libraries or programs or other cruft that I've installed that have changed things. And so sometimes my Mac would just behave funky and I'm like, I, I would actually really love to rebuild uh, fresh. And so I'm, when I get my machine back, I'm considering like going through and actually yeah. doing all of the scripting stuff and trying to clean things out and maybe just do a fresh build when I get the chance. I think I am one of those rare few people who I never install more than what I need. 
So like it's, I usually stay away from any productivity applications or anything that runs in the background or, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I try like my work machine is just, I try to keep it as simple as possible. So I learned, I guess oop, that's from back in windows. Cause windows, you know, you start installing stuff and I was rebuilding my windows machines all the time. Right. And so then I got to the point where I'm like, I'm only installing only what I need. And if I don't need it, I'm figuring out how to, how to remove all the traces of it. And I think I've just kind of kept that going. <clears throat> I, I think, uh, I think that, that the point that David Stanley makes is that, you know, if you, if you have a backup strategy, right. And mm-hmm. you, uh, and you never actually use it, it doesn't, it, right. It, it, it doesn't really exist. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and the idea is, is that if you go ahead and script everything, and even if you don't really need to rebuild a machine periodically, just do it by mm-hmm. virtue of, of having to do it occasionally really means that uh, you'll get it working correctly. Right. And then yeah. you have that magic of uh, your laptop can be run over by a bus at any minute and you wouldn't lose work. Right. Like you might, you know, you might put the important things into, uh, into Dropbox and, you know, you've got everything else scripted and mm-hmm. really that machine just becomes a total commodity item at that point because, you know, all you have to do is plug in the new one and hit go and, you know, it installs Dropbox and then your file starts showing up and everything's there. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I, I can certainly see the utility of that. I can too. I, I, can, I can see that. Yeah. And I feel like at that point you, you know, if you were messing with things and you were changing settings and, you know, instead of being like, oh, well, I'm just going to leave it this way or I'll figure it out later. You can always just be like, you know what? I'm just going to start over and, <laughs> you know, I'm going to lose, you know, an hour or two on the weekend and get myself, you know, back to where, you know, where I want to be. So. And I think that, you know, I used to have that habit with, with vagrant boxes um, or like if you're working in, in Laravel and you're using Homestead, um, I think it is a great habit to get into to just nuke it regularly, right? Like rebuild your Vagrant every morning um, or a couple of, you know, or a few times a week because it keeps you from accumulating like that one funny little fix you did to get the test to work in Vagrant, right? Like, oh, there was some string, you know, some connection string that was different. Well, if you're uh, constantly, you know, destroying the machine and re you know, and rebuilding that little vagrant box, then it means you have to put a system in place that fixes that for you, or you fix the underlying thing. Um, I feel like with Docker, you don't have to do that as often because those, those are always feel more ephemeral. Uh, you know, if you're making a new one every time you run a test, well then, you know, by its nature, you don't run into that as much. You do have to do some cleanup on Docker though, because it'll keep all your orphaned, like images and things like that. So as you're pulling down new, you know, new images, it's it just kind of saves the old one back there. So yeah, I use, I'll check, I use like Omni disc sweeper every once in a while just to see like what's taken up all the space on my hard drive. And, you know, and that's when it's a good time to clear Docker and things like that, unless you need persistence somewhere. But yeah, I actually use uh, what is it? Clean, clean up. Uh, what, clean my Mac. What is, I have what's that, that as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, I finally, I, I you know, we've, if anybody's listening to this and that, you know me, I, I'm cheap. I don't like to buy a software. Uh, and I finally bit the bullet a few months ago. I was like, man, I'm going to buy that because it was so much easier to clean up the, you know, the like uninstall stuff, clean up old files and do mm-hmm. just the cache and everything. And yeah, it, I love running that. And I, I also would do it too so I could free up RAM, which is nice. And when you're running, you know, your virtual machine with the Docker instance, and then you've got uh, your PHP Storm open and all the other crap and Chrome and Slack and everything that wants to take all your RAM. I hit that button all day long. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of, of one called Disk Inventory X uh, that gives you a visual representation of the, of, the, of the disk. To me, it always looks a little bit like the old Windows defrag. Um, mm-hmm. but, it's, but it's really... Uh, I really like that it color codes by file type and you can see the size of files. Um, and uh, I have found it to be pretty pretty useful for hunting down stuff that's that's accumulating. Well, that's kind of cool. You know, defragging a hard drive is something I do not miss. Uh, you just brought me way back. I remember doing that all the time. We're having that, that, <laughs> one, that one autoexec.bat file that you used for playing Doom. <laughs> Oh, the good old days. I used to reinstall my window. You talked about having to reinstall windows all the time. Like I always, uh, always got viruses on my windows machine back in the day. And so the way I would get around that again, because I was cheap and didn't want to buy any virus software was I would just reinstall windows. So all of my files were backed up on, uh, actual CDs. Cause again, cheap, yeah. didn't buy a hard drive. So I backed everything up on CDs. I actually still have most of them with me in my, in my closet. Uh, I'd love to go through them again one day. I don't have a, a CD drive that I could read anything, but uh, yeah. And so it would be, I'd reinstall Windows and it'd be a couple of hours of popping each disc in there. What's on this? Pull it over and pop the mm-hmm. next disc in and just <laughs> just go through the process. That right there, that surprises me. I I, uh, I didn't think that the CD and DVD storage would would go away so quickly to the point where, I think I have one old machine that I could boot up to read a DVD now, right? Like I've got stuff backed up on DVD and I'd have to go buy a DVD drive if I wanted to read most of it. Like I'm surprised how quickly that as a physical medium just, just vanished from something I can even consume anymore. Well, it's, it's, it's on my radar and has been for a while, but I'm, I am going to, within the next few months, going to buy a, a Blu-ray burner external drive uh, that obviously can read stuff, but um, I want to be able to back things up on physical media, you know, something that'll last longer. I don't have to worry about, you know, uh, a magnet destroying it. Um, and, but also I really like, especially now, like now that I have a kid, I want to be able to take these videos that, you know, we're, we're shooting and actually put them together into like a movie, like DVD playable format, you know, that she could one day pop in and see it on TV. Um, but but I don't really actually I need to even look into how to do that because I know you can create the movies and edit and all that stuff in, in iMovie now. But I remember there used to be iDVD, you know, where you could create the menus and then you could actually burn to it. That's how I burned a, a bunch of uh, you know, when my wife and I started dating, I actually took a bunch of her old VHSs and ran them through some conversion, you know, hooked it up through a, a input thing, ran it through a VCR, recorded them to iMovie and then made a DVD for her. Uh, but now I'm like, I, I DVD doesn't exist anymore. I'm like, what, what do I use? I think most people are using Plex in, in the cloud. Cause I think you can just stream off the cloud, you know, so you, you create these, you put them in your online, you know, 
um, your cloud storage and hook that up to your you know, Plex or whatever you're using. And yeah, and then you just stream them off of there. Yeah, but one day, I see, I don't know, especially with precious memories like that, I don't trust anybody. So I'm like, I want physical copies. Like I still get photos printed off and you know i have a i have all of my photos backed up to my computer i have them backed up to facebook google plus uh and amazon via the prime um but i still don't trust them you know i mean that's four sources i think that's my big thing is you know so i have a dropbox account and i guess i'm always going to have a dropbox account but what happens if i don't pay you know you know i don't pay the monthly bill or whatever uh and it, they cut it off. I guess I, I would assume your account stays and your hopefully your data stays for at least a certain amount of time. But yeah, I mean, what do you, what do, you do in that case if you want to if you want to drop your online, you know, your cloud storage, you know? Yeah. Or if the you know if the company goes under or something you know happens or whatever. And I know um, some places that will give you. I don't know if Amazon does it this way, but I know other online storage they'll store tons of photos for cheap or free or whatever but they store them at lower quality and i'm like i don't you know we have these great cameras i want to be able to print them off or view them at really high quality yeah Um, and so like even having my photos uh my local mac photos library on my machine is taking up a lot of space and so i'm gonna have to try and find an external you know drive or something to store those off on i i use uh, a website called smug mug and i really like it it, it's, uh, they're definitely a little bit clunky in some of the uploads. Um, you know, it's not quite as simple as just having a, a folder on your computer that you drop photos into, but it does, they do a great job of hosting photos. And what I have, have come to really like is that they will store the, the original high res images. And then, uh, you can set up a little password and then friends and family can, uh, actually order prints from the original high res, but they'll share, you know, lower res on, on the web. And, uh, I've found that, that I actually periodically sort of go through and will order, you know, 20 or 30 photos, have a, have a mail a copy to me and, and, you know, mail a copy to my mom or, or whoever else in the family was in the photos. And, uh, I feel like, like, having, you know, the physical copy, like makes it a little easier to, you know, hang the idea of hanging on to them in 40 years and, and seeing them again. Um, because I, I worry about the permanence of it all too. Yeah. I mean, these are things you can never get back. I mean, my wife's got a box of her childhood photos and, uh, you know, I've got, and they have tons of you know videos her parents took on VHS, which, you know, you think about that, right. You still have to go dig up a VHS player to watch it, but that's, that's still intact. You keep it away from a strong yeah. magnet and that thing will last a long, long time. Right. And I want that same thing. You know, I, I, I want the photos. And so we still print it out, but I think I'm, we're, we've talked about having like a monthly budget of, uh, of for, for photos, you know, grab the ones that are the best ones and then just start printing them out, you know, and, and they're not that expensive. Uh, isn't there a service? I thought there was a service that would for like a couple dollars a month would take all your mobile uploads and kind of create this little pack of photos that they send to you, like a little booklet of your photos for the month, and they send it to your house, and then you you just you get to have huh. like all these photos printed out, and you never have to think about it. It's just they automatically upload. They send you. They send it to you every month. I think it was like 
And didn't they have a, a, a an algorithm that was designed to pick the ones that you that that were the most interesting? Right? They picked the ones with faces and and with landscapes and skipped some of the others. Like I want to say there was some there was some curation system that they had that happened magically. Yeah, I'm sure there's a limit to the amount of photos that they actually do print. So yeah, I, I could yeah, I would agree with you there. They probably have something. Who is this? I mean, do you, do you remember the service? <clears throat> I really don't. But I was going to ask, you know, <laughs> Stephen, since since you've since you you've both got got children and lots of photos, like. I run into issues with, oh my gosh, I want to find that photo of someone at that thing. And the the retrievability, I think, is getting really bad with how mm-hmm. often I take photos of my phone. Like, like are you, are you doing anything in particular to try to make retrievability a little easier? Are you tagging, indexing? No. Um, putting stuff in folders? What, what well, do you like, do? When I back up to photos on the Mac, like it will automatically group them and you know by events like right photos you took within a certain time period especially at a certain location it'll be like you know here's your album or event or whatever and so that's really cool it does that automatically now google is amazing google photos you can actually go in there and um it'll it because they're i mean because they've got the search built into it and you know google's got obviously really great search capabilities you can go in there and i can search for cat and i can find all the pictures of my cat without even tagging it because it uses you know, image recognition to be able to know what's in there. And then I could set faces and I can say, go in there and look for, you know, for Lydia and I can find all the pictures of my wife or, or whatever. And it's, it can find these, these cool things. Oh, the privacy implications of that just terrify. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I, it, uh, um, you know, identifying, identifying faces for Google, um, uh, you know, I don't know what the what the terms of service say they're allowed to do with that, but that always that always makes me nervous. In fact, I'm going to give a shout out to Amazon. I didn't realize they do this as well. I'm currently looking at my Amazon photos uh, in my account, and it's got a checkbox for me to check boxes. Excuse me to be able to uh, to filter down. It's got people that I've created and tagged, and then it's auto. You know, it's pulled them in uh, and learned. It's got places, dates taken, stuff like that. But then it says things. There's animal, cat, pet, plant, smile, water, food, baby, sea, beach, toy, glasses, bed, and this one's crazy, newborn. Hmm. Like show me photos of newborns? Uh, show me photo, my photos of newborn. And I can look at it and hmm. yep, it's my daughter from like just a few months old. Wow. That's nuts. What? No. What what an interesting uh, what an interesting algorithm to write or or train yeah right like like all right uh, what are you working on this week well I'm writing an algorithm to recognize newborns in photos um, that would be uh, that'd certainly be an interesting task now what what does newborn go up to what would you count that as newborn how old did you say Matt um uh, first three three to six months I would say. Yeah. Three to six months. This goes up to most of them go up to uh, May. So that would have been six months. And then uh, there are a few from June and July that are picking it up. And I'm like, that's really close. She's got a baby face and no hair, you know? So, but um, yeah, that's crazy. That's really cool. You know, um, Craig, you were just talking about like terms of service and privacy and all that. 
And it, it reminded me of an article I read on one of the tech blogs. I think it was probably Gizmodo or Engadget that I read. And uh, they were talking about how, you know, one of the writers had set up all of these basically, you know, the tech, you know, stuff that does things for you. Like, you know, they were basically talking about how much your television with Netflix and your smart TV actually calls home and all these little, you know, devices that you have that are supposed to make life great. Literally how much they know about you. Like, were you in the living room? Oh, yeah. Are you at I, home? What are you watching? How long are you watching it? Like, yep. you know, did you make, co- you know, now your coffee maker is, you know, uh, connected to the internet. It's everything you do. It's right. so, you know, what, so what weird. amazes, you know, again, it's, it's that, that whole idea of, you know, if the, if the product is, if you're not paying for a product, then the product is you, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the idea now that you are, you know, your Bluetooth device that, you know, is paired to your, uh, headphones, um, you know, is broadcasting an ID and that beacons within a store can hear that. And then, you know, later your, your phone connects from the Wi-Fi at your house and, you know, you start to put the pieces together until an item that you looked at in a store becomes your Hulu ad. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that your physical location in space changed the ad you got while watching TV. Like to me, it's just amazing that, that some of these technologies have sort of crept up on us and that that's, that's totally, uh, you know, that's totally in the world of things that can happen now. And, and, you know, we've all just sort of blindly accepted it. I don't want to sound like I've got on my tin hat, tinfoil hat. Well, I think it's more of, we don't really know how much of an invasion of privacy that these things, you know, until that article, I didn't realize that how much my television actually talks, you know, to the home ship and how much that home ship shares that information. Do you know what I mean? I literally, I paid for, I'm paying for services, you know, I paid full price for the television, you know, and yet I have to agree to allow them to monitor me in order to use it. You know, it's like, uh, you know, so it's really not, fair, I guess, in a way that, you know, you can't really say, Hey, well, outside of not using it, you know, unplugging it from Wi-Fi or whatever. Um, let me ask you a question. Can you circumvent that if you have like a a proxy or or some sort of blocker uh, on your network? Yeah. Yeah. Because you could do that with ads, right? I've seen people doing that with raspberry Pi all the time, run their network through there and they block like the, you know, the ad, uh, delivery networks, you know, and I'm like, Oh, could you block your TV from phoning home? I would assume so. Yeah. And then you can turn it off if you wanted to have an update, but yeah, I mean, yeah, typically you can block those IP addresses and things like that, or domains if you have a good enough router, but then you have to, but you'll also have to monitor your traffic and say, okay, what device is doing what and why? And you know, that kind of thing. That'd be pretty cool. I mean, because right, right. The TV has got to work. If your Wi-Fi goes out, you know, you still got to be able to watch a movie or something. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's obviously got to work. It can't just air out and not work if it can't phone home. So yeah, you could set up the pie, plug it into your network, get all the traffic gets routed through it or whatever, or the DNS look up and uh, it, uh, yeah, you could just block it. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be interesting to see. I, you know, somebody's done that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, rem- I remember when that came out and especially those TVs that have like cameras built in or whatever that like they would secretly monitor you or like listen to you with the, with their microphones and, yeah, that's just creepy. It I used is. to even have, 
I'm, I don't know. I'm not trustworthy. I used to even have a, a piece of tape over over the Connect when I would when I still had it hooked up. The the Xbox Connect. You know, if I remember right, um, there's a couple of products that that do that. The the Pi Hole, uh, I think, uh, sits sits at your router and does you know network ad blocking. But that you know that always comes back to the. All right, that's probably a terms of service violation because you are trading your eyeballs for that content, right? And you know, we we you you sort of enter into a contract with the with the the content producer that says, "I'll trade my attention for your content." And I don't think that any of us are doing a good job of understanding right now how incredibly valuable our attention is in in the market. Oh yeah. You know, Our eyeballs are money to, to some company or to multiple companies. Yeah. It's crazy. It's just crazy. Um, privacy. What abs? Um, <laughs> well, we're at 45 minutes in. We've gone yeah. from uh, broken computers that break themselves, broken devices that we break. Uh, how do we come back from that and how do we boot up new computers? To uh, what, what photo and document storage, and then now to uh, wearing our tinfoil hats. Yeah. I do believe that is a good place to end this conversation on. Thank you, Craig, for taking us to the tinfoil hat uh, uh, stage in this. I appreciate um, it. Thank you. It's always fun to go there. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, it's always great to have you on. Um, yeah, this is always fun to do. I love talking to you guys. Thank you much. Have have a good afternoon of it. Same to Thanks, you. Thanks, you guys too. Bye, guys. Bye. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Code Talk, episode 19. Check us out on Twitter. We're at Code Talk Podcast. We're online, codetalk.symbolcast.fm. See you next time.